For most of us, many people, sharing our faith with others is challenging. There's a variety of reasons for it. Sometimes it's because we're not sure when there is an opportunity to share our faith. Is this a good time? Is this a bad time? Should I share it now? Are they looking for me to share my faith? Sometimes it's because we're not exactly sure what to say. How do we articulate the gospel well? What's something that we should say to them? What would be helpful in this time or moment? Sometimes it's because we're afraid of the questions they might ask. What if they ask me something I don't know the answer to? What if they probe in an area like I'm not comfortable with? What if they ask me something I'm just clueless about? And yet, God's plan to take his word to the people around you, God's plan to take his message to your colleagues at work, to the neighbors that are beside you, to the people in your lives, family members, friends, is you. You are God's plan. You are God's plan to take the glorious good news of the gospel to the non-Christians around you that you have contact with. It's you. That's why in Romans, quoting out of Isaiah, Paul says, how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. We are God's people, and when we bring good news, the gospel is saying, the, the word is saying that our feet are beautiful because we've entered into a realm, into a place, into an area where we've carried who Christ is in our lives to them, and we're able to declare the gospel with them in a way that they can hear it. And so today, I want to talk us through what it means that we have the privilege of sharing our faith with others, of taking the good news of the gospel and letting people know about it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. It's one of my favorite passages of all time in Scripture. Colossians 4, 2 to 6. This is the word of the Lord. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so you'll know how to answer everyone. That is the word of the Lord. In these few verses, when Paul is now moving from talking about the household structures in the way that our lives have been altered by the gospel out of the uh, third chapter of Colossians, now to how we take what God has done in us and begin to declare it to the world around us, he says, be devoted to prayer. If you're going to give yourself to something, if you're going to apply yourself to something, be applied to, be devoted to prayer. Pray. And then he says this, be watchful and thankful. Many of us think that when we've prayed, we're done when we've said amen. We've offered this prayer, and when we're done, and we say amen, which is so be it, or may it be, when we're done, that's it. But Paul's saying your prayer is just the beginning of what God's about to do. After you prayer, be watchful. The term means be on the alert, on the lookout. Be watchful for the answers to the prayers you've just prayed, and be thankful. Be thankful when God answers those prayers. Now, Paul doesn't say only be thankful when God answers the prayers the way you're anticipating that he will answer them. God says, be devoted to prayer, be watchful, and be thankful. Be devoted to prayer, be watchful, and be thankful. And so we devote ourselves to pray. 
We watch, we're on the alert, on the lookout for the answers to the prayers we've just prayed, and we're thankful when God grants those answers. As many of you know, for years, Amy was the only believer who had come to faith in Christ in her family. We now have seen a couple of other members of her family come to faith in Christ, or at least been exploring Christianity. And in our early years of marriage, we just prayed diligently that God would open up doors into her family's life. One of the most significant doors that God opened was through her uh, cousin, our cousin, our young cousin, uh, who was four at the time, who is, was diagnosed with a rare uh, degenerative, degenerative disorder that was just tearing her apart. And she ended up, by the time she was a teenager, where she was only fed by feeding tubes, unable to respond to us except by smiles, locked into an electronic wheelchair. And this beautiful, bright girl was going through this deliberating disease um, that should have taken her life by now. She's still living at this time. And through that time, so many questions were asked. Through that time, so many of the family members came to us asking questions about God and what that looked like. And he opened up numbers of doors for us to be able to share the gospel. Because sometimes, as you're praying and you're devoted to prayer, and you're watchful for the answer to the prayer that God gives you and thankful for them, it's not what you're looking for. But in God's sovereign plan, it's what he gives. Now note this, Paul then says, pray that God would open a door for the message so that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He says, pray that God would open a door. I believe one of the most exasperating experiences that most of us have as Christians is we try to share the gospel with people whose lives are closed to the gospel. There's been no openness. The door to their heart has not been opened. Salvation is a gift of God into the lives of people. So one of the areas that we need to be diligently praying is, is God, would you open a door into my classmate's friend and the, the student that, that I hopefully will be sitting beside in class again in a few weeks? my colleague at work, my neighbor, my family member. God, would you open a door into their life? God, would you open a door? It's one of the prayers we should be praying when we're thinking of them, when we're walking along the corridors of work, when we're walking through our neighborhood. Oh yeah, God, that's where Jill and Hank live. Would you open a door into their lives, God? Would you allow us to share the gospel with them? We should be praying consistently for open doors. Our old church at 383 Houston years ago, this is probably now 24 years ago, I don't even know if Amy and I were married, um, I was there working in my office, my office was in the back room of 383, there were these old wooden doors with a closure that didn't work well, and the doors would close very slowly, and at the very end, the closure would like just kick in and whoo, they slammed shut very quickly, created this loud noise. I'm in my office working, and uh, they were, we were running our then six weeks of day camp, six weeks of cross trainers, and, and uh, I had a whole team running it. I was in my office working on some stuff, maybe my message for that Sunday, and as I'm there working, one of the young women came into my office, said, Dwayne, looked at me, and threw water all over me. I had a little water ball sitting on my desk, so I grabbed it. I went running. I was going to chase her. I was going to soak her back, so I'm running. She goes out the door. She was an athlete. I wasn't. I'm coming behind the door. The door is going close, 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 slowly. It latches quickly. The closure just grabbed it. Boom, my hands hit the door. My head hit the door. And I remember I hit the ground. I hit the floor. I could hear hysterical laughter outside the door. I opened up the door with my little water bottle, open up the lid, and there was the youth group standing with buckets and the hose. And they just drenched me. I'm soaking wet. But I learned an important lesson that day. You can't go through a closed door. 
And for many of us, we try exasperatingly to open doors into people's lives as if we can do it, or we're sharing the gospel into people's lives and the door to their heart is closed. We need to diligently, faithfully pray, coming before the Lord expectantly, oh God, would you open a door into my mother's life? Oh God, would you open a door into my brother's life? Oh God, would you open a door into my neighbor's lives, into my colleague's lives? That's why as we walk, when we're walking from our our, our office to the photocopier at work, we should be praying for the people who are passing. God, would you open a door? That's why when we're somewhere, wherever that would be, walking through our neighborhoods, wherever we live, we're walking the dog or we're taking the kids out, God, would you open a door? It should just be flowing from our lips into this neighbor's life. God, would you open a door for us to be able to share the glorious good news of the gospel so that we could proclaim the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Christ, for which Paul says, I am in chains. You know, it's easy to stop praying this prayer. It's easy to give up on people. pastor from Ottawa was sharing this with me just before Christmas, how he's doing a wedding uh, coming up this summer, and, and uh, the weddings of a young man in his congregation who's now uh, studying to go into ministry Young man's 26 years old. He met him when he was 20 years of age. When he was 20 years of age, this young man's grandmother called him and said, and said, I've been praying for my grandson. I've been praying that God would work in his life. Would you just go to prison and visit him? Pastor said to me, you know, this young man had a history of juvenile delinquency where he'd been in and out of juvie detention. And then at 18, he was incarcerated. At 19, he was incarcerated. Now again, at 20, he was incarcerated. He was incarcerated for a variety of things, drug trafficking, break and enter, just a whole bunch of stuff. He went in to visit him expecting that it would just be one of those visits you go to appease the wrath of a lady in your congregation who is a grandmother of his young man. And during that meeting, God saved him. Now, I recognize God doesn't always save people the first time you talk to him. In fact, it's quite rare. But during that encounter, God saved that young man. And he began to go back every week and disciple him. The chaplain was a godly man um, at the prison where this young man was at, and, and, and he began to disciple him. And then the young man came out and was growing in his faith, began to get involved in the church life that they were a part of, and then just a few months ago got engaged to a young woman who loves the Lord deeply. And he said his parents came to him, uh, who are walking with the Lord, not attending his church, but another church in that area, and said, we'd given up. We'd stop praying. And he said his mom looked at him and said, but I'm thankful my mom never did, his grandma. She just never gave up. She just believed that God could open a door into his heart, into his life. God can open a door into anyone's heart. God can open a door into anyone's life so that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ. Paul says here, for which he's in chains. Now note he then says this, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. That's a fascinating prayer. By this time, the Apostle Paul has planted a number of churches. He's also written a number of the epistles that we would have. Paul has planted a number of churches. He's written a number of the epistles that we have. And if the Apostle Paul is saying, pray that I can proclaim this clearly as I should, oh, do I need that prayer. One of the prayers we should be praying for each other at James North is in our community groups as we gather. And we hear that one of the members of our community groups is praying faithfully and diligently for God to open a door into their neighbor's or friend's life. We should be praying for that person. Oh God, would you help her to declare the gospel clearly? Oh God, would you help him to declare the gospel clearly? 
Because so often God opens a door and we talk about, um, you know, we just did these Christmas hampers at my church, or we have housing in our church, or we talk about end times. Or we... No, the gospel is this, that God created us, we're made in the image of God, that we chose to rebel against him, and in our fallenness, we could never make our way to God. But because God is gloriously gracious, he sent his son, the Messiah, the Christ. He sent him. And Christ broke into time and space, entered into this place, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, having never done anything wrong, fulfilling the law in two ways. One, he was the one of whom the law always promised. Two, he never broke it in any way. He fulfilled God's requirements perfectly. And on the cross, he took our sin. He chose, as he was executed on the cross, to take our sin upon himself. And as he died on the cross, he conquered sin and Satan and death, three days later being raised to life again, Lord of lords, King of kings. That is our God. It is the glorious good news of the gospel. And who is it for? Who is it for? John tells us this in his gospel. For any who believe. Is that not good news? And so we pray that God would open a door so that we can declare the mystery of Christ. Our feet will be beautiful as we enter into their presence sharing what God has done in us so that they would be saved. That's what we do. It's so easy to get distracted with all kinds of other dialogue. And when God opens the door, oh, would you share the gospel? Would you declare Christ? You may not declare that whole thing at one time. It may be bits and pieces over time. But would we be burdened for people? Would we just be overwhelmed with what it means that there are people who don't know Christ and that God has placed us in their lives? You are in their lives as God's primary way to share the gospel. That's why he's put you there. Now, the passage goes on, and Paul doesn't just talk about how we pray and looking for open doors. He, he then says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. An outsider is anyone who hasn't yet experienced the saving grace of Christ. And he says, be careful. Wise living is living life the way God would have you live it. It's living life from God's perspective. He says, so be wise in the way you act toward any outsider and make the most of every opportunity. You know, sometimes as I've shared this passage in the past, it's easy to talk about the kid at Subway Sub who makes your sub the wrong way and making sure that, that you act in an appropriate way. It's, it's easy to think of situations like that that can go awry, some conglomerate that has messed up your utility bills and what that looks like. But there's a lot of other ways that we should be applying this. That the way I live is so wise in front of others that they can't explain who I am or why I do what I do except God himself has shown up. They realize in the way that I care for others, in the way that we as a family express kindness to others, in the way that we are showing concern for others. When you hear about a neighbor whose family member has passed away that you offer condolences and maybe bring over some food. And they're not used to that. They're like, why, like, why would you do this? And it's what our church family does for each other. But outside of those communities, often people don't experience anything like that. And all of a sudden, you're taking what God has shown you within the community of the church, with the community of, of his believing family, and you're extending that grace to others. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. 
Be mindful of the fact that you are always an ambassador of Christ. You are always a minister of reconciliation. Make the most of every opportunity. And some of those opportunities are hard. Make the most of COVID. Huh? Make the most of COVID. Where so many people are struggling with mental health. Where so many people are wrestling with the lockdown again. How do you show kindness to someone? How do you offer a sidewalk visit? How, how do you extend what you're able to into the lives of others? Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. That's a hard one, isn't it? Let your conversation always, did you see that word there? Always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. That means that what you're saying should attract them to the gospel, not repel them from the gospel. That the way you live and now what you say should be attractive about who Jesus is. Because you're always declaring that the wisdom you have is his given to you. The accomplishments you have are what he's allowed you to do. Your conversation is always full of grace, seasoned with salt. So often in our culture, our conversation is full of complaint. We complain about all the COVID protocols. We complain about our church. We complain about our job. We complain about our kids. We complain about the school. We, we just complain. And what does the scripture say about complaint? We are to do all things without complaint. We are to be people whose lives are complaintless. There should be no complaint in our lives. Our lives are to be full of thanksgiving that we see God's grace, that we see his work, that we see his sovereign hand, that we realize that God's with us. And so as people hear our conversation, it should be always full of grace. Oh, it's been a really hard year. You know, my wife, and this is not Amy, I'm just using this as an example, you know, really struggling with cancer. Oh, but God's grace. Oh, you know, it's been a really difficult year. My finances, oh, but God's grace. Oh, you know, this has been really challenging, but, but God's grace. And they should see by the way that we live and by what we say, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. You know, as you wisely live your faith out in front of others and you let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, Make sure that you don't let them confuse your opinions about things with the gospel. This has become really clear through COVID where people have strong opinions on masks or protocols, on, on, on whether this is truly a pandemic or not. Whatever it would be, you could just name it. And as I've watched people go through this, some people are like, well, you know, this is all tied up with their faith. I'm like, actually, it shouldn't be. This is their opinion. This has got very little to do with their faith. Now, I know our faith influences us in all ways. But some people declare their opinion as if it's gospel. If it's a somehow tied, or they throw some verse, and I'm like, stop. Whoa. Sometimes it's just our opinion. And people can think, well, to be a Christian, I need to think this. To be a Christian, I need to do that. We can see that with political parties in all parts of the world, right? If I'm going to be a Christian, I have to be aligned with this party. I have to be... And anywhere in Scripture? Nowhere. We need to be so careful in the way we live that they understand this is the gospel. Oh, I'll declare it clearly. 
these are my opinions on some things. But these opinions on things may or may not have anything to do with the gospel. And sometimes may not have anything to do with the gospel. And so what happens is, is then our strongly worded opinions actually push people away from Christ instead of drawing them to him. And then he closes with this so that you'll know how to answer everyone. I mean, I agonized over this. I remember years ago I was asked to speak at a university and I was given an hour to talk about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And then there was a panel discussion where myself and several students would be on this panel. And it was at University of Waterloo. This is probably 22 years ago now, maybe more. And, and uh, I showed up and the students said, Dwayne, more people are coming than we thought. It was one of my first university talks. Um, I'd maybe done three or four before. And I said, how many more? They said, maybe 800 more than we thought. I said, okay, that's a lot more than we thought. So they had the largest room that they had on campus. The room was packed. Hundreds and hundreds of students came. And what I didn't expect, and no one expected, professors came. And I remember I, remember I was praying, so I will know how to answer everyone, so I'll know how to answer everyone, so I'll know how to answer everyone. And the first person to get up to ask a question was a professor. And I didn't even know what he asked, let alone know how to answer it. I didn't know what the question was. So I asked him in the best way I could to repeat the questions without everyone in the room to understand what he was asking. I didn't say including myself, but I meant that. He did. It didn't help. And I remember afterward thinking, Lord, I prayed that prayer. And as I've agonized over this text, I think this is what Paul is saying. That as you're devoted to prayer and watching for the prayers that you've just prayed, the, the answers that God will give, being thankful when God gives them, as you're praying for open doors so that you can declare the mystery of Christ and declare it clearly as you should, as you live wisely in front of others, making the most of every opportunity, letting your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt, your life will point them to the one who is the answer, that is Jesus Christ the Lord. They will look at you and they will have no answer for who you are or why you're living the way you're living except Jesus is your Lord. And it will answer everyone. That doesn't mean they'll all come to faith in Christ, but they'll know Jesus is your Lord. That doesn't mean that they'll repent and believe, but they'll know Jesus is your Lord. And some will come to you and say, why do you live this way? Why do you foster? Why do you adopt children into your homes? Why do you give away so much of your wealth? Why have you chosen to live in an urban center? Why would you go to a church that builds housing? And the answer to their questions will be, Jesus is your Lord, and it will answer everyone. So this morning as I've preached, maybe a couple of you have had names come to mind, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, colleague. We don't have a lot of time here, but here's what I want you to do. Whether you're alone or whether you're with a group, I just want you to name, I just want you to say a name out loud, a name of someone who doesn't know the Lord that came to mind. Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your sister, maybe, maybe it's your brother, maybe it's your neighbor right beside you or a little bit down the street, a colleague at work. Just name that name. One of, one of your peers at school for our, our children who are listening, just name that name right now. Just say it out loud. If you're alone, just say that name out loud. And would you pray with me? God, we have just named a whole number of names of people that we love and care for. Neighbors, colleagues at work, friends, family members, people that we love dearly. And God, we confess right now that we can't save any of them. And we confess right now, God, that we've just named some people that we have not prayed for, maybe ever or in a long time. We confess that we've just named some people 
that we've actually even given up on when it comes to the gospel. God, thank you that you never gave up on us, and thank you that you never give up on anyone. Thank you that your love can reach into any heart, any place, anywhere, anytime. And so, God, for each of these names we've named today, we pray that you would open a door. And then for each of us, God, we pray that you would allow us to be watching for that door to open. We pray, God, that when that door opens, that you will allow us to walk through it and declare the gospel clearly as we should. God, help us to declare the gospel with clarity. And God, we pray that you would help our lives to be lived in such a way that they will be wisely lived in front of outsiders. That you would help us to make the most of every opportunity. That our conversation would always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. And God, when they look at us, that they would see you, Jesus, because you are the answer for everyone. And we pray this in the powerful, resurrected name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen.